Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. My next guest embodies the words of being the change. As early as January 2020, he saw the devastation of COVID in his community. Before COVID was even a concern, Chinatown in New York City saw foot traffic and revenue drop by 70% due to hatred and falsehood spread by the Trump administration. With unpaid rent and no end in sight and the loss of his beloved father, he had every right to only think of his own survival. But instead, he took the opportunity to help and heal his community. Patrick Mock is a hero here in New York City and a hero of mine and a perfect example of how one human can make a difference. Hi, Patrick, and thank you so much for being on Be The Change. Thank you for having me. We met through our state assembly member, Yuli New, and that's where I saw firsthand your command center, right, on uh, 46 Mott in the heart of Chinatown, where you manage the bakery. But can you tell listeners how you came from managing 46 Mott to feeding thousands of hungry people in the community? It's funny because how it all started was the image of instant noodle, a cup noodle. That's how feeding, like, from, you know, from managing to store to feeding dozens came from the, just from one cup noodle. And the sto- a cup and of noodle how, from ramen. Yeah, it all yeah. starts with ramen, right? <laughs> yeah. So the story behind it is our store has been hurting since January, like, because of COVID-19 and xenophobia, racism. Like Chinatown got hit hard, even though the first cases didn't get reported until the end of February. Chinatown was feeling it in January because of everything that was happening in China overseas. And phobia, racism hit really hard. Like our tourism and businesses was down like to 60, 70%. And the big difference was Italy was one block away and Chinatown was like here. You could see Chinatown being dead and slow while Italy was still booming and busting, yeah. And that which lead to our Lunar New Year's, our busiest time of year. And because of COVID, we lost that too. We lost the revenue that the busiest time of year, of all the revenue that we usually get to cushion out the slower months in the next few months, we didn't get that this year because 60%, 70% of the business was gone. And right afterwards, it was we had the shutdown in New York, the New York pause where only essential workers and essential businesses was the only places that was open. And during that time in March, we were about like four and a half months behind on rent. And my boss had a meeting with me. He's like, Pat, we got to make this decision. It's either me and you, we grind it out and keep the store open or we close the shop for good. And during that time, 
I was like, all right, let's take the bet. Just me and you, let's see how it goes. Because we have nothing to lose. What else can we lose? So we took the bet and we stayed open. So during in middle of March, it was me and my boss working 16 hours a day. And yeah, it was crazy. Then this is where the cup noodles story comes in. You know, for having a stay-at-home order, people are supposed to stay at home. They're supposed to not, like, come out every day to buy food. They're supposed to, like, stock up weekly, then stay at home. But yeah, during that time, I was running the store with my boss, which is me and him. We were seeing the same regular folks coming in every day buying cup noodles or sticky rice. Anything that was non-perishable or anything that was, like, a hot food for them to eat because... My store was one of the four or five stores that was open in a four or five block radius in Chinatown. So Chinatown was literally a ghost town. Like, yeah, it was empty. All the storefronts were closed. And after five, Chinatown was pitch black dark. And then it helped when the streetlights were broken too. So, yeah. I think any New Yorker would be like, wow, right? You know, yeah. no one knew because we were all inside. But like to see Chinatown just completely dark at 5 p.m. is crazy. Yeah. and. Going back to like the people that was buying food every day, because I was working in the front every day, I was seeing everyone who's coming in. I was started like observing my locals, my very regulars that's been coming in every day, and how they were eating their meals. And yeah. and one thing I was observing the most was how these couple old uh, Chinese guys was eating their cup noodles, and how they were eating it was. They fill it with hot water. They finish the noodle. Then they come back and refill it, the cup with hot water again. And just started, like, you know, drinking the whole thing. Then one day I was just curious. So I asked him, like, why are you doing that? It's right. healthy. And he was like, well, I do this because now it's like two meals in one, you know, for a dollar. Now I'm feeding myself with two meals, a hot soup and, like, and noodles. And then after hearing that, I was digging myself, damn, like, it's tough for them, man. Like, then I started realizing, oh, they might be homeless. Because you're supposed to stay at home, but you're here every day at my shop buying the same items. And being on an instant noodle diet is not healthy at all. No. Yeah, so I was like, and during that time where when you're at your, the lowest point in your life, especially when you're operating a store and pretty much you don't know if you're going to make it through this as a shop and you're managing a sinking ship, you, you appreciate all the help that you are getting. And for me, I appreciate these customers a lot because they could have shopped anywhere else. They could buy the same product from anyone, but they chose me. And I appreciate that a lot to a point that I wanted to find a way to give back to them saying, thank you. Even during my my tough times, they're willing to, you know, support me. And at the same time, they, for them, they're having a tough time because their income is very fixed. Like a dollar a day equals $30 a month, but $30 a month to them might be more than like 30, 40% of how much they have on them or not even, you know? So here you are with your bakery, right? And it's the two of you and you're four months behind rent. And now your thought goes to, which I love, Patrick, is that your thought goes to your community, which is like, you can't pay the rent, but now you're going to get active. You got active and then start making food and giving it away, right? Yeah. yeah. I was talking to like 
a state assembly woman, Yulene, about yeah. it. You knew about it. And after talking to her, she found me my first donor for my project idea, which was enough to feed 100 people for 10 days. And after people were starting to find out what we were doing, it just blew up. And the need was there. And need grew too. So we're do- from 100 meals, we did 150 to 200 meals a day every day outside the shop. 200 meals a day for two months straight. And also another thing that I felt like another story that came up with it was we got a nurse from Mount Sinai Beth Israel hit us up. Uh, Laura saw what we were doing in Chinatown. She was like, thank you for all you're doing, but can I buy meals from you guys? Because for all the night shift workers, because all the stores around her was closed after seven around Beth Israel during that time, during the peak of COVID, because there was not enough business to support it. And she was like, oh, can I buy like 250 meals? I'm going to use my hazard pay to feed all my colleagues and workers at the hospital, you know, just to say thank you to them. When we heard this, we're like, we're not going to charge you. We're just going to get you these 250 meals, like no questions asked. And when we got to the hospital and delivered to them, just seeing the, the emotions on their faces, like the happiness and joys and her crying, it made me want to do more. And I told her, I'll feed the whole hospital every day until all the stores around you get open back up again. And, and that's why at first she was like trying to ignore me, like not answering our messages. Cause she's like, you're doing too much already. But for me being persistent and willing to help, I found my way contacting everyone top down from uh, Mount Sinai just to reach Laura again and just to get the meals, finding out the numbers of people I got to feed. Yeah, and that's what happened. And for two months straight, I was feeding Mount Sinai, also doing the meals outside. So where are you finding the resources for this? Are people donating? Are you using the income? Is it your own money? What happened? So I first started off using uh, a percentage of what we make at the store to feed the meals. But then once people started finding out what we were doing, everyone wanted to chip in and help out and donate. Not only donate money to for the meals, also donate their time and volunteer to help me out. And yeah, it just grew to like, now whoever needs meals in the neighborhood district can message Yulene or message me and we can figure out work on the logistics and we start delivering it. That's incredible. And your boss, I guess the store owner, is he your boss or is he your partner? Or He's my boss. Yeah. Like, he's all he's into this? Because... Like, during in March, he pretty much ran out. He didn't know what to do. Yeah. I was very creative. Uh, I like to think outside box. At yeah. the same time, I get kind of controversial things I do, you know, not being afraid to speak up or take initiative. But during that time, he had no more ideas. He told me to take charge. He had nothing to lose. And he wanted me to take charge and try new things, try what I think would be right. And I was always in the mood of helping people. And this is one of the ideas that I had. And I was like, I'm going to push through. And because of that, like, this is where we're at today. And if it wasn't for my boss too, that believed in me, I wouldn't be able to do the things I do right now. 
It's incredible. I how many meals per day were you delivering at the very uh, worst? The, the most meals I did in one day was six hundred meals. Wow. The peak in a week, I did about three thousand meals in one week. Yes. Wow. Are they traditional meals from the bakery? It's more culturally appropriate meals for the neighborhood. Every day was like a different meal too, so people don't get bored of it. For us, like when we make our meals. Quality of the meals, we keep as a premium, and then it has to be nutritious, or else we're not gonna feed it. And another thing is, it's something I always sell myself at the store. Like these are things we keep in mind when we make our meals. So like, you're not gonna get anything half-assed from me. Like you're gonna get something good, not just like throwaway stuff. And I think Patrick, you know, what I'm really touched with is that this isn't charity. You're humanizing. A human, you know, where so many people, when they go to charity, it's dehumanized. You know, I've worked with Yuling quite a bit and helping in the neighborhood and handing out stuff. And oftentimes what people donate just doesn't make sense. And that the meals, I've also done meals on wheels and handed things out. And there's no respect of the person who it's going to. And I love how that you have thought into that. Like you wanted to make sure it was nutritious, that was culturally appropriate, that it was something. And I think I find that so beautiful. I mean, for me, it's also my pride that I have in the food industry. Like, even though I'm doing something for charity and stuff, I'll still show off my skills and the volume that I could put. As, so when times comes, when things get better, like if I want to do another project, no matter what I do, I keep the premium of my work. You know, I'm proud of what I do. Like, you can't say my food sucks. <laughs> you know, like for you, it's free. But like my food won't suck regardless on who eats it, you know, on either on the table or people who eat it on the streets. They'll enjoy the same type of food. Right. It's respect of yourself and respect of the person who you're giving to, no matter what they're economic statuses. And I think that's what the importance is, is that oftentimes someone who's in a bad way gets up getting like the shitty stuff, right? Or someone, you know, that people, and, and that's not how it should be. That is not how it should be. If anything in charity, you give more. You know, there's many teachings. I'm not going to get into religion, but many religions, you know, you teach the impoverished as kings, you know, it's a reflection of you and how we see one another. You know, I want to get into the Chinatown is definitely being singled out here right now and not receiving economic relief. And you're doing this and you're 3,000 meals a week, which is incredible. I can't imagine if you were cooking all this. So you have to tell me. But like, why wasn't there an effort there in, you know, like City Meals on Wheels or someone else? Like, why was no one stepping up to the plate? It's not no one stepping up to a plate. It's, no one knowing what to do during this pandemic because if it was based on experience none of these older organizations or establishments know what they're doing because it never happened to them like if you see now everyone's trying to figure out what they're trying to do for the community but there's so many ways that you could help but during the beginning of the pandemic everyone was still shell-shocked and Everyone thought we could just hunker down for a month or two and this will be over. And that was so wrong. And for people like me at this and the store, we don't have the benefit to hunker down like the more established groups or, or any other organizations because 
we're losing. We're going to die. We don't have the resources to do. So for us, we had to pivot and adapt and really work on our feet to get things done and just to survive ourselves. Right. But there were no charities out there like delivering meals to the homeless or out on the streets that, I mean, there's numerous meals, charities here in New York City. Yeah. But at the same time, this is where I get controversial. I lead. I just do things. Oh, I'm glad you did, Patrick. But why weren't they there? Why did you have to step up? Why do you think? Why is Chinatown being ignored? Chinatown's being ignored because we don't like to lead by example, lead by initiatives because every time we try, there's always some type of controversy behind it. But for someone like me, I don't care what people think about me. I just do what I think is right. That's another thing about Chinatown. We care about how people see us a lot. We care about the image for sure, the how people see us, but at the same time, we like to keep the status quo and just uh, be like conservative at times. Like uh, culturally, we don't like to be in the light. We don't like to be like very loud. We just like to do our thing, you know, work hard and call it a day. Like for people like me, I get in trouble a lot because I could get loud and obnoxious and cause a scene. And that's why I'm always kind of known as a troublemaker around my parents, (laughs) always giving them headaches and uh, giving them things to worry about. But people are grateful now, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Because I stuck to my beliefs and did what I believed was right. And I didn't care about the consequences right afterwards. But everyone's glad that I did it. And now they're proud of me, which is good. But at the same time, I hope this will disrupt the old school beliefs of how things should be done and how we can lead by example now. And we do have a voice. So do you think that a lot of it was that people didn't, that was their pride involved, that people didn't want to apply to get money or were people being denied the PPP loans? And In the beginning, I think it wasn't not pride. People needed the help. It's just that PPP, no one was, yeah. it was only in English. And even our store, when we applied for it, we didn't get it because the lines to the bank was crazy. Uh, like there was always an obstacle for us to get the first round of PPP, and it was ridiculous. What about the second round? I mean, we got the second round, but the amount we got was it was not enough to like really cover the bills. It was just like chump change. Okay, so what I find interesting about the, so. I have a business, as you may know, right? I have a small business that I've had in New York for 25 years. It's not a storefront, but it's now it's in my home. We used to have a office space, which we don't anymore after COVID. But the Gail Brewer had sent something around where Columbia Law was helping and like finding that, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't something that was just like put out there for the community. And I can only imagine if English is the second language or if it's not even a, you have the ability to read it at all, how difficult that must be. And in turn, the people who need it the most didn't get it. And then now there's this zip code, this 10013, right? And I don't get that. Patrick, I don't get that. And maybe I'm, Yulene's going to be on later this week. So I'm going to ask her about it. 
I mean, I don't understand that either because if we're talking about Chinatown, our mayor de Blasio was was there in August. If I, you know, when he met me for sure, like he was there, he was eating at Wallhop. Wallhop was on one zero zero one three. They need yeah. help. All that host, you know. Yeah. The main one of the main streets of Chinatown. He was there. He should know better. Like, and at Chinatown Ice Cream Factory, that's one zero one three. That's another place he visited it too. You know. Yeah. And I'm talking about establishments in one zero one three, which is like the heart of Chinatown. That got excluded with this loan, which I don't know why. What about Margaret Chen? You know, I don't have many nice words to say about our mayor, so I'm not going to say them. And I saw how he basically dismissed you, <laughs> and which he did. You were speaking, and he he just turned his back on you and walked away. Is Margaret Chen doing anything for the community? She's your community board member. Well, she's our council councilwoman. Yeah, thank you. Realistically, I haven't seen him visible in Chinatown. Yeah, I've heard she hasn't been doing anything. And her term's up, which is like, you know, you're unfortunately seeing people's true colors, right? They're showing us who they are. But you're proof that one person can be the change. And that, that's what this podcast is about, is to inspire people to get up and you have an idea and you see a wrong. And it's not just a shake your head about the wrong and, you know, off this world, but it's to get up off your chair and do something about it. And you did. I know that this, not only are you feeding those who are hungry in your community, but you're making effort. You did a a lighting up of Chinatown. Did you see? I did. I, I, you know what? I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil. I haven't been there yet, (laughs) but I'm hoping to get over this weekend. I was there I went to go see Kevin and Eva, but I didn't get to see the light. So tell me about it. Tell us all uh, about it. I mean, I'm aware that there's a lot of photos, but yeah, another project that I thought of was my Light Up Chinatown project. And it was a project to light up Chinatown, make it Chinatown brighter and more festive. That's the whole point. And the idea came during the peak of COVID when Chinatown was dark. It was literally street light was broken storefronts were closed and I was thinking to myself we need to make Chinatown look brighter and more festive you know just to bring foot traffic down because especially with more and more stores closing the streets will be darker faster earlier but if we have more lights and some type of festivity people will come down take more pictures make their selfies IG famous and like with IG selfies and all that make it more photogenic people will come down like i can't guarantee business to all the shop owners or business owners in chinatown but if i could bring foot traffic i'm doing my job that's generating more of a buzz people walk coming down walking down making chinatown an attraction again even though in reality it sucks that a lot of stores are closing i'm trying to bring back as much of, of the neighborhood back to life as much as i can and this is one of the ideas and and when I was thinking of this idea, I was like, I don't want this just to be about me. It's never just about me. It's about the community. And for that to be come into fruitation, I knew I needed to make this a group project between the older generations of Chinatown to the newer generations of Chinatown. What I mean by that is the different organizations, the old established ones to the newer ones that's been trying to make a name for themselves, like connecting both the old old and new worlds of Chinatown work and having them work together. 
I knew that would be hard, especially when it could either be the language issue, it could be of how everyone thinks and how everyone has a strong personality, but someone needs to be that glue to try to bind everyone and try to work with everyone because everyone was so strong and they're great personalities. But when you have too many in a room, it's hard for everyone to like listen to each other's ideas and someone needed to be that glue to try to juggle everything and just have everyone working together. And I kind of put myself into that position. You were the was, glue. Yeah, I was the glue. And now you good. have these beautiful lanterns, which are going to be perfect for the Lunar New Year, which is coming up, right? Yes. And this is only phase one and two. And we're going to have the phase three installed soon, which phase one and two was Mott Street to Pell Street. Mott Street between Pell and Canal. So it's two blocks of lanterns. And then the next phase, for phase three that we're going to install during Lunar New Year's for the Lantern Festival, which is the 15th day of Lunar New Year. It will be um, uh, Bayard Street from Mott Street to Bowery. So the next phase is to have another two more blocks lit up in Chinatown with lanterns. And the thing about these lanterns, anyone who donates like $50 pretty much adopts a lantern with a local artist from the neighborhood that uh, curates the lanterns, personalize it, and put your name on the bottom of every lantern. So if you donate to the cause, like you can see, lantern will be up in Chinatown. Like you're leaving your legacy in Chinatown and showing everyone you've been part of this amazing project that brought the community together. I'm still going to do that. Wait, Patrick, where do we do that? Where can we donate? Do you know to do the lantern? There's a GoFundMe right now. I can send you the link later. Okay. Of, of doing that. It's like uh, $50 automatically gets you uh, a name on a lantern. And okay. Then, I'll put those uh, in our notes. I'll put them in the show notes for people, for and, listeners. And, yeah. Then 150 gets you one of the lanterns on the streets and a personalized one by one of our local artists sent to oh. you. Yeah. So you have one to keep. For 150 you get one to keep at home and one on the streets now what about having like a traditional night market outdoor is that Um, been talked about i did that was actually one of the things that i was trying to talk to de blasio on and open streets and what happened uh, i have besides him dismissing you and walking away where is um, that project right now it's on hold because i have opposition in the neighborhood from store owners Store owners, I don't want to put them in the loop. It's more of like they said yes to me, but then this person comes and goes and then they say no. So it's like they don't want to get in the middle of everything. So I don't want to blame the store owners, but there's people in the neighborhood that believe that this night market won't bring enough business to the neighborhood. It's not impactful enough. And also stop like Ubers, accessorides, all the emergency vehicles from coming into the neighborhood. But for the drawing I built out, there was like emergency accessibility road just in case if people need to come in, even if we do open streets for Chinatown. But yeah, we had to put that project on hold because for open streets to work in Chinatown, it should be only during the summer only, only like how little Italy, how it's closed only for the weekends. A thought process behind it, you know, utilize outdoor dining, which our mayor was promoting for the longest. 
but the best time to utilize outdoor dining is when it's warm and hot outside, not when it's cold. And I had to put that project on hold because it was getting colder and colder and there's no point doing the project anymore, you know? Like, we lost the most impactful time where it could be utilized and benefit all the businesses that does outdoor dining in Chinatown and that get to happen. So I have to put that project on hold. If I want to try that project again, it'll be around the talks I start right after Lunar New Year's. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very interesting. There's a big night market now in Queens. And I think that you and I both know, I mean, that going out to these night markets is a thing. It's also safe because you're outdoors, right? You know, and everyone's wearing masks these days anyhow. But I don't know. That's something I I would disagree with them because I like your idea. And I think it's something that could definitely be done year round. Or seasonal, at least, you know. Yeah, I think it could be a huge moneymaker if done right. I know preserving, this is where we come to that conversation about, you have discussed about there being a clash between the Chinese youth and the elders and the community. And I know preserving the heritage and the roots of Chinatown is important to you. It's extremely important to you. It's very. Um, But then most people think like the youth doesn't respect that. You know, the youth, you know, I came here from China. You were born here. You don't understand. How do you see these two ever intersecting and, and creating a good together instead of combating for me it's a very delicate balance for me it's understanding how my elders think that's what helped another thing is me speaking that language me learning how to communicate and third thing is growing up in the neighborhood all my life like so understanding how they feel and how they think helps me with my decisions of how we could all work together instead of always like butting heads and one thing I, I've been doing a lot, like, for me, I love to just head right in with my ideas. Like, let's do it. You know, I know who to bring. Like, my friends are like, let's just get things done. And the thing is, with the older generation, they really care about image and how people see them. So what I do now is every time I have idea, I always ask the other, like, organizations or groups that, like, hey, I have this idea. Do you want to be a part of my idea? Like, do you want to help me with it? Like, I always ask them, like, if they want to join because you don't know if they want to join until you ask them. And when they say yes, they're like, okay, welcome board. And you just try to share your resources and just at the end of the day, what I want is to execute the plan that I have. I don't really care about the credit. I don't really care about, you know, who's doing what. But if we could get things done at the end of the day, and that's the goal. I'm happy with it, even though it means a little bit more work on my end. But at the same time, in a bigger picture, it shows that we could all get along, you know, when during times we could be very strong headed and we just don't listen to each other. We just don't talk. But if I could show that the older and new can get along and work together, I did my job and it's okay if it's more work on me. Because right now we need to show more unity in the neighborhood than division because for us to get through this we need to work together and being divided won't help it'll just deepen the wedge and you know accelerate everything that's going that's bad right now well you sound as a uh, a mayor should be you're mayor of chinatown <laughs> patrick now tell me so are there any ambitions 
to run for office. I mean, I hear you saying this. I'm thinking, well, you should run, you know, for city council or something. Have you thought about it? Is it in your uh, plans? No, not anytime. (laughs) And I'll tell you the reason behind it. Yeah. You would think that me running for a position like that will provide the change that we need, but in reality, it won't. I'm more effective the way I am right now. I still think for myself. And the thing is, I'm not weighed down by the pressure of any political affiliation. I'm just doing what I believe is right for the community. At the same time, for me not running, I could still be that glue, try to you know piece things together, not through my title or my status, but for the work I've been doing for the community and how my messaging has been the same. We're trying to work together. We're trying to bring the community together and we're trying to make Chinatown a bigger, better Chinatown right now. And I want to keep that message, but I feel like if I start running for anything right now, I will just lose that message. And I don't want that. And I want to be as effective as possible for my community and my neighborhood. And there's no political aspirations or ambitions. So that will answer that question right now. Such wisdom at the age of 26, I have to tell you. Like, I hear you, and I think you're absolutely right. I thought about it myself and absolutely feel like you have more leverage when you're on the outside. You and I are friends with Yulene, and I know many local politicians, and it's tough. It's tough. Like, you know, they're getting things done, but there is. It's politics. And just doing, like you said, you're able to, you have the freedom to do what you want to do and you don't have to really answer to anyone and you can get things done. So I want to ask how people can, how they can help. Is Chinatown, I just want to make that clear, Chinatown is not receiving the help that it should get and that we order, I go as much, you know, dim sum go-go, shout out to dim sum go-go. I have them delivered every Sunday. We eat locally, all our shops. I don't know where the Chinatown Arcade is right now. Are they still in, have they shut down? No, they reopened. They did. Beautiful. Beautiful. So besides going down and giving business, like people are bringing awareness. So shout out also to New York Nico who brought to light, you know, your, what the de Blasio did and dismissed you. And and, and brought a lot of, like he nominated me for the Will Smith show and, He did. Okay. So he nominated you for, and then Will Smith. So then you won that, right? Yeah. He won like $50,000, which thankfully helped to pay some back rent and some of the costs that you're putting out. Right. Yeah. And $10,000 with the partnership of AFI to fund the light up Chinatown project too. So like. Amazing. Yeah. Right. So that was like unexpected and I'm sure something that you're so grateful for. You know, are you getting a lot of support from those wealthier people in the community? Or, I mean, how do, like, anyone can donate. What do you need? Do you need people volunteering? Tell me what it is. I could always use people helping me with my meals. Because I do it every day. I do it seven days a week. We pack the meals at the store at 6.30. And then we deliver. That's in the morning, right? No, at night. At at night. night. We do night meals. Yeah. And we we do that every day. Another way is to donate because every meal that we make is like $3 a meal. So you could do that through cash, check, or through our Venmo or PayPal. Okay, and, and tell us what that is. For our Venmo is Moth-46. 
but for my PayPal, I'll send you all the details okay. later. And another thing that we could always use for donations is like socks. Because that's the number one thing that people ask for is sock and uh, socks to the homeless that ask for is socks and water. Because um, apparently there's no constant water supply for the homeless, especially with all the like water fountains are closed right now. So it's like these are the top two things that they always ask for when we hand out our food and our meals. So like we could always use like donations of socks because socks are very useful. Okay. Where are people sleeping? Are there shelters that, that aren't providing this or these are all people in the streets, I'm guessing? These are all people in the streets. So some, you know, they build out with cardboard. This Christmas, someone donated sleeping bags. So I got a lot of them sleeping bags. So they're good on that. Okay. But then there's also the homeless that are temporarily, that the ones that are out of work, that they're just, you know, having a tough time and they just became homeless. So there's some that are like that, but it fluctuates a lot in the neighborhood. Then there's the casino homeless, the ones that travel to the casinos every night to like, you know, make that $20, $30 and come back. And they pretty much live, sleep at the bus stops and, you know, they just go back and forth. They're just migrating just to make $20, $30 a day. Wow. So they're taking the bus from Chinatown to AC. Yeah. Or the other casino in Connecticut, right? And then they just basically sleep and live on the bus and then to make, and they just gamble to get the money. Yeah, because you get like, what, $40, $50 play credit and you sell that credit for like, like 30, 40 bucks. And the bus ride, the round trip was like 20, 25. So you're making about 20 to $30 on every trip. Wow. So that's so donations, right? Socks. Yeah. Water and helping you. Yeah. Helping you. You know, we talk on Instagram. Is that the best way for people to find you? Yes, it actually is because my emails are always backed up. It takes me like three, four days every okay. time to like yeah. uh, to be on top of things. But like, so DM you there, right? Yeah, DM Patrick, is the fastest way. Yes, Patrick, Patrick never sleeps, but it's without yeah. the e, so it's yeah. N V E R. NVR, yeah. NVR. So take out the E's, all right? So Patrick, NVR sleeps, which yeah. you don't ever sleep. Barely. And <laughs> this is the last question, Patrick, because, you know, I ask every guest on the show, what keeps them going? And I think what you're doing isn't easy. You know, we know that I'm hearing that. And anyone who's on the show, when you're being the change, it's not like you're doing it because it's like easy time laying back and on vacation there's something else that's getting you up every morning. What is it for you, Patrick, that gets you up and keeps you doing this every day to help others? I mean, for me, 2020 was a tough year. In February, I lost my dad. And for our only child in an Asian household, I became the breadwinner. I became the head of the family. At the same time, I had a shop struggling. So it was a tough year for me. Like I didn't really get a chance to grieve or slow down at all. It's easy to slow down and just be in the slump and, you know, it's hard to, but I didn't let that get that to me. And another thing that drives me every day is the people that I meet. It's the emotions that I see of the people I feed. Like one of these was when 
I pass out all my meals to the homeless and you see the at the park and all you see is them all sit down at the same time, open up the bag, take out the meal and then they start eating it and all of them enjoying it, all 75 of them at the same time. It's one of the best feelings you could get. And also my customers that come into store every day saying hi, you know, like following all the work I'm doing or like, hey, Pat, awesome lights, awesome article that I just read about you. What's next? Don't stop. Keep doing it. Like the motivation that I get from my customers and the people on the streets or even when the lights was put up, how I was walking down Montreal, all the gift shop workers, gift shop owners just thanking me, you know, like, this is beautiful. This people, I'm like, they were thanking me. I'm like, it's okay. You don't have to thank me. We're in this together, you know? And at the same time, it's all the people that believed in me. It's yes. A lot of things I do, I'm scared, but at the same time, I, overcome that fear and take a hedge because i know there's people behind me that's been supporting me and whatever happens they'll still be there like it's the people that not only that help i help it's also the people that that's been doing the side by side that doesn't get the recognition that they're supposed to but they're okay with me getting it which i'm not okay i'd rather have them in the light than i am because i hate i hate being in the light but it comes to a point where you need to step up and for me now is the time for me to be that voice that people want me to be like I be that impact that I could be that change and that's why I'm talking to you right now because I'll be very honest I don't like to really talk in front of cameras like what happened with me and the mayor it was a moment where I believe that I needed to speak up. If I didn't say, like, I can't assume that he knows what's going on. I got sometimes you just gotta say it out loud. And that's what I did during that time. I didn't think, I didn't expect to, you know, what came out of that afterwards. But during that time, I just felt that was right. And if I get in trouble with it, fine. I don't care. And like I said, I'm always a troublemaker. I'm all, I'll still be making trouble, but I'll be making that good trouble now. So, yeah. Good trouble, as John Lewis used to say, and as you know, as he did say, you yeah. got to make good trouble. Patrick, yeah. I want to thank you for being on Be the Change. I know you don't like being in the light, but you are the light. I'm grateful for you, and I appreciate you, and I, I thank you for all you're doing. And Chinatown, I think for every single New Yorker here, there's fond memories of it, and I think everyone needs to remember all those great memories and that we cannot have Chinatown in New York city. That just can't happen. So we got to go and support now. Yeah. Even Chinatown, like every time you see a travel brochure of New York city or New York state, you always see a picture of Chinatown in it, either if it's the food or some cultural aspects or lion dancing, Chinatown's always a part of it. Chinatown is my go-to. So Everyone out there listening, let's go and support. So thank you, Patrick. Thank you for being on and thank you for being the change. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you would like to donate to Patrick's efforts in helping Chinatown, you can Venmo him at Mott-46. That's M-O-T-T-46. Patrick is on Instagram at Patrick NVR Sleeps. And there you can DM him to find out if he needs any volunteers for that week to help hand out meals. 
You can also donate to help light up Chinatown by purchasing a lantern at GoFundMe.com. That's GoFundMe.com and search for Light Up Chinatown. Thank you for your help and thank you for being the change. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at BeTheChange.NYC. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.